0: What's happening in Israel now is terribly upsetting. The murderous Hamas organization, terrorists by any definition, that the world very often refuses to call terrorists, bombing civilians indiscriminately, trying their best to kill as many innocent Jews, men, women, and children as they can. And on the other hand, we have the Israeli army, the most moral army in the world, trying its best to stop this indiscriminate bombing while at the same time protecting civilians among whom the Hamas operatives have embedded themselves and their weapons. It's an impossible situation, all the more so when we live in a world which will always see whatever Israel does as fundamentally flawed, fundamentally murderous, fundamentally intentionally trying to kill Palestinians, which obviously is utterly absurd. And at the same time, we must look at what we're doing wrong. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeehouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Just a couple of hours ago, I knew that I wanted to talk about the situation in Israel, and I knew that the person I should speak with is Daniel Goldman. I wrote to Daniel, and within a few minutes, we were already recording the podcast. So, this podcast is a quick release podcast, not really a prepared podcast, but at the same time, we deal with a number of very important issues that must be discussed. Daniel Goldman is a businessman and social entrepreneur, he's the founding partner of Gold Rock Capital a former chair of Gesher, the leading Israeli organization bridging gaps between religious and secular Jews, and a former chair of religious Zionist youth movement, World B'nai Akiva. He is the founder of several ventures relating to the Haredi community. Daniel contributes regular columns to the Hebrew and English press on the core questions of Israeli society. Daniel Goldman, thank you very much for joining me on this special episode of the Orthodox Conundrum. Good to be here. I contacted you about five minutes ago and said, hey, I think we have to do an episode about what's going on in Israel right now. Rockets falling all over the country. Riots going on in mixed Jewish-Arab neighborhoods, an attempt at coexistence that's been going on for 73 years undermined in just a couple of days, and it's extremely depressing. So I don't have questions prepared. I don't know what we're going to talk about exactly where this conversation is headed, but I knew we had to have a conversation, a quick one just to get some idea of what's happening on the ground. So when you look at the situation right now, Daniel, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: So, you know, I've been in Israel for nearly 30 years, You've been here a long time yourself. We've all been through, you know, tense situations, uh, uh, wars, mini wars, intifadas, um, and the like. I would say um, I'm I'm more nervous about uh, what is going on in Israel tonight, today, last night, than probably any time since I made Aliyah 30 years ago. Why is that? Because there's no Iron Dome that can... Uh, cope with mob rule in in the streets the, the, you know we will finish tomorrow next week another month this particular round of fighting with uh, Hamas but when the riots are over and they no doubt will be over at some stage, the work that is needed that will, you know when we move from that position I think is a much more complex situation and in some ways we know how to press the button as a country or as a government, to fight with the Hamas, but I'm not sure yet we have, you know, the tools to deal with what is currently going on on the streets.
0: What's going on in the streets, I find so disheartening, simply because I had felt, I guess I was naive, but I felt that over the past year or two, maybe because of Corona, maybe I was just blind to what was really happening. I really thought that there were advances in the cooperation between at least Israeli Arabs and Jewish Israelis as well. It looked like things were starting to come together in some form of coexistence, at least on some level, even the fact that until this week, really, the big talk about the potential government of Bennett and Lapid, it was going to be propped up by Ram, which is an Islamist party. That has never happened before in Israeli politics. It's been a taboo both for left and right. And yet, at the same time, a government which has right-wing members was suddenly able and open to this and welcoming it. That to me seems to be an exceptional development in a lot of different ways, just in terms of coexistence. And now is that completely gone?
1: So um, as with almost all of these complex social uh, and political matters, I think, you know, obviously we have to try and parse the different aspects of, of what is actually going on. And I think your instinct about the change in dynamic between the um, Arab Israeli population And uh, a general Israeli society, or the the Jewish uh, Israeli population has definitely undergone um, significant changes over the uh, past number of years, many of which being very positive, including a lot of uh, research and survey uh, uh, data showing an increasing identification, or at least understanding and acceptance of, you know, Israel as a, um, you know, it exists, it is the Jewish country, we are a minority within it, we have this complex identity as both um, Arab-Israeli and obviously identifying with, you know, the Arab and Palestinian brothers, et cetera, and, 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 you know, the wider uh, complex uh, situation. I think all of that is true. And to a certain degree, I think think for the listeners, the taboo uh, that you speak about at the political level, the first sort of crack in that came actually Uh, You know, it seems like a million years ago, but just a couple of cycles ago when the joint list almost gave its recommendation to the president for Benny Gantz to be uh, prime minister. And I think that strongly increased the leverage that the Arab voters felt. And therefore, you saw an increase in voter participation, almost immediate increase in voter participation by the, uh, uh, you know, within the Arab sector.
0: And, Which uh, demonstrates that the sometimes extremist positions that the joint list had taken weren't necessarily resonating on the Arab street.
1: There are multiple narratives about, um, and you know, we, we, we could do a series of these. In fact, maybe we should do a series of these to unpack so much about the Arab community itself and its relationship with Israel, and the, whether it's the politics and the education or the the economics of it. But uh, there is definitely a, a, a gap in narrative between what is portrayed within the mainstream israeli scene about the uh, arabs and their representatives okay and in some ways actually quite a patronizing view that says well actually these are really bad representatives for you how about you vote for uh, uh different people who are more compliant with you know the wider uh, narrative and again i i'm a zionist i believe in the uh, declaration of israeli independence i believe that israel is, should be, and, and will always be a Jewish country with its uh, national I- Jewish identity and, and all the rest of it. But that, that doesn't have to mean crushing the minority um, identity. It doesn't necessarily mean, or doesn't have to mean, that I make Arabic not the uh, not a second language, which is 20% of the uh, population. There are many things that, that I can do as the, uh, if you will, the representative of the majority, the person who's effectively in control that can actually enhance and bring that Arab population closer to um, Israeli society rather than pushing towards Palestinian society or, God forbid, towards the Hamas. So those changes are definitely in place. And I think also it's, it's worth noting and giving credit that the Israeli government under Netanyahu signed a huge uh, uh, economic uh, package and billions of shekels to begin to redress some of those gaps that exist. But as we've discussed also uh, you know, on the question of the kharidi community, things that have been in place, gaps that have been created, uh, underlying problems which are, have exacerbated over a 70-year-plus period cannot be switched overnight. And, and maybe, again, just trying to step for one second away from the immediacy of the situation without tagging blame to any particular political actors, and we could do that. But let's just put that a second. We sure could. The the possibility of real political partnership between Zionist Jewish parties, and whether it's uh, Ra'am or the uh, joint list, clearly is going to generate a uh, reactionary uh, backlash. That reactionary backlash is probably going to be Jewish, and it is probably also going to be
0: Arab. And is that what's happening now? Is that your explanation for what's happening? What's happening now is, is is a
1: whole firestorm of things which are happening together. So you have the whole series of historical things which you know create a powder keg. Then you have, uh, you know, I'm sure you have the post effects of Corona, which the Corona for the Arab community was at least as difficult as for the rest of Israeli society, and probably in many places was more difficult. Okay, and again, if you're if you're in the lower socioeconomic uh, part of the uh, community, which most of the Arab community is, corona and being at home and not being able to work and economic difficulties and social isolation and so forth, no doubt has created a, a huge amount of pent-up tension. So you have that. You have Ramadan. You have the Sheikh Jarrah or Shimon Sadiq uh, issue coming to a head after many, many years of legal uh, wrangling. You have ben in the Knesset. Perhaps, I, you know, there, there are so many things which have kind of driven... Uh, this particular point, by the way, the, the you cannot also underestimate the we, we don't see it too much, uh, or maybe enough, in our own uh, news feed. But whether the uh, there are going to be elections in the Palestinian Authority, not elections in the Palestinian Authority, this all plays into the power keg. And of course, when you just step across into Gaza, Hamas's strategic aim is that they not just become the hegemony. Of uh, uh, Gaza, but they come the hegemony of the of of, of Judea and Samaria, uh, um, East Jerusalem, and here was a, a just unbelievable opportunity where so many things came uh, together, and it is absolutely no coincidence that you know Ramadan, Sheikh Jarrah, Hamas sending uh, opening up with missiles on uh, Jerusalem. They're saying we are the defenders of Al uh, uh, Aqsa. OK, and as soon as you take the, the sort of national conflict and you spice it up with the religious aspect, then, you know, all Muslims will identify with Al-Aqsa. doesn't matter whether you are Israeli, Arab or Palestinian or Indonesian or wherever you sit. And so it, was a, it was, it's just a, it's just a perfect storm of things together, none of which justifies pogroms or violence. Of course not. I, you know, I, we, we haven't even talked about. Uh, the fact that we've had a, uh, a temporary head of the police for two years. We do not have a permanent chief uh, prosecutor in place. We have a, a legal system and a police force, which is under persistent and constant attack, which has undermined any sort of credibility or trust um, in the system. And in a sense, you know, in the vacuum of uh, nobody's nobody's in control there is no landlord as it were um you know chaos you, you probably will say it better i think it's in Per-K-A-Vot, you know where, where where there is no authority we will end up just taking uh, baseball bats and you know Eating Eating each
0: other up. That's what I was going to say, exactly. Then let me ask you a question. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Let's start off with one of those many issues that's contributing to this powder keg. You talked about Sheikh Jarrah, the community, which is also known in Hebrew, as Shimonat Sadiq. This is being portrayed worldwide as Israel evicting Palestinians, which... There's something true about that, though it's only a piece of a much, much bigger story, especially I've seen some people on the far left in the United States are treating it almost like Nazis evicting Jews from their homes in Warsaw. You and I both know that is not what's happening. Could you just briefly tell listeners in a few sentences or a couple paragraphs what's actually happening there,
1: so if it's, it's possible? Shef Sh- um is a, a very small uh, neighborhood on the edge of... East Jerusalem, for your listeners who know sort of the back end of Meir Sharim and then sort of the, the, the new uh, Route 1 that sort of splits West and East Jerusalem. It's it's within walking distance of the Damascus Gate. Um, so it's it's at the American Colony Hotel. It's in that arena. It, like very many other places uh, around Jerusalem, there are legal battles around ownership of, uh, of houses in that uh, neighborhood, which was historically... A Jewish uh, neighborhood, and um, when the Jews were chased out of Jerusalem, obviously those houses were left empty. And back in 1948. In, in 1948, and and basically came under uh, Jordanian rule, and then back under Israeli rule, and the claims and counterclaims, uh, which we don't have, frankly, the time, and it's not even that exciting to go into, um, have been working through the Israeli courts for uh, a, a great number of years. And, and, and scheduled, were scheduled, in fact, to reach the Supreme Court um, exactly at this uh, time, and it's been you know, deferred for a short while. If, um, as I do, I have confidence in the Israeli legal system, then in the end, if, if we're going to have uh, respect for the system, we also have to respect the uh, rulings of the court, which will go all the way to the Supreme Court. And it looks like at this point that on the, on the very dry legalities of the case, there doesn't seem to be any question that the houses were originally Jewish. And that, you know, based on a reasonable legal ruling, it belongs to the Jews. And unless the people who are living in there are prepared to pay some type of rent or acquire the houses, which, of course, now don't want to be sold, um, then they are going to be uh, evicted. Of course, we cannot disconnect the legal uh, argument from the wider question, because, for example, one of the uh, legal aspects that control these houses are there is rules and, and laws set up, some of which even from the Ottoman period about what happens when you leave a property. And these laws control many, many properties in West and East Jerusalem, and in fact, across um, Israel with respect to what happened to Arab houses and Jewish houses when, you know, uh, uh, mostly during the independence war, people were, you know, left their homes. And I think many people might want to ask themselves, and again, I, I you know, I don't want to draw any conclusions from that, would the same type of legal ruling be had In the Israeli courts, if the equivalent of what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah happened here, where I'm sitting in uh, Bakr or the German colony, etc., where many of these houses were originally Arab-owned houses until 1948 and now are lived in uh, by uh, Jewish Israelis or, in some cases, Jewish Americans who actually are not Israelis, and if the original owners or their, their appointees or trustees came and said, actually, it's ours. We demand to have it back or could you pay us rent? I can't imagine that that would get a very positive hearing.
0: So it sounds like what you're saying is that at least on part, even if we respect the ruling of the court, which seems to be leaning towards the fact that these are Jewish houses, keep in mind that it's not so cut and dried. There is another side to it in that the same ruling, if it were in a Jewish part of Jerusalem, might be met with extreme resistance.
1: And again, I'm not taking a view on the political aspect of it. Bear in mind that there are uh, organized political... Israeli Jewish groups who have set out in, a, in very public terms that th- this is not just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the long lost owner of this house in Sheikh Jarach. This is about reclaiming East Jerusalem for Jews. Okay? And so, you know, uh, the areas in Silwan or David or Harazitim and Sheikh Jarach and other places. Um, from a Palestinian uh, point of view, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Zionist, I'm Jewish, I believe in a united Jerusalem, but, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out why this creates a great deal of uh, uh, difficulty and tension from the uh, Palestinian side.
0: Let's talk about another thing that you mentioned before. You mentioned the name Ben-Gvir. Ben-Gvir has the Otzma party. He was brought into the larger religious Zionist party, as it's now called, run by Bitalo Smotrich by Netanyahu. He actually was the organizer of that. He wanted them to be together so that votes wouldn't be wasted for a right-wing coalition. Well, the normalization of Ben Gavir, who now gets lots of time on TV, lots of time in the press, he takes up a lot of air time and a lot of air in the room, has that normalization, I don't know if it really is normalization, but he is in the Knesset, has that whatever it is actually created or contributed to some of the problems that we see now and some of the tensions between Arabs and Jews?
1: I would be cautious to give him personal credit for the chaos that we have uh, going on. But uh, let's talk about very specifically his actions of last week and the response of the uh, Jerusalem mayor, okay? Last week as a political act, let's say, he set up his parliamentary office on the sidewalk of uh, Sheikh Jarach in solidarity with with the Jewish residents of the neighborhood and clearly, as a to make political uh, statement. And as and if you saw the uh, pictures and the reporting that happened, instantaneously, that raised the uh, tension and violence in the arena. I don't think Kavir has any problem with that because provocation is part of his political uh, stock in trade. What is interesting, and what I I have to give credit for, is that Moshe Leon, who cannot be described in any way as a kind of post-Zionist left-wing sympathizer or anything of that. He's nature. the mayor of Jerusalem. Okay, he's the mayor of Jerusalem. He was a Victor Lieberman uh, and Ariadari's, uh joint uh, candidate, and in many ways was a candidate of the right. In an open letter to Ben Veer, he said, look, if you want to move into the neighborhood as a resident of Jerusalem, then you have the right to demand from me protection and services and so forth. And, and you know, as every other... Jewish or Arab resident, you will get that. But if you've come just to make a political point, stir up trouble in Sheikh Jarrah, it would be better that you were not there. And I think that 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 is a sentiment that reflects what most sane Israelis would want, which is we have enough complex difficulties sorting out uh, uh, the uh, you know, Israeli, Palestinian, or Jewish, Muslim, or Jewish, Arab issues, whether it's in East Jerusalem or Lod or whatever, what we don't need are politicians who uh, make political capital by pouring oil onto that already difficult point. And I think that's the reflection of what uh, Ben Gvir brings to uh, Israeli po- politics at a moment when we could least, uh, frankly, use it.
0: I want to quote you something you said to me when I suggested just half an hour ago that we talk I said, one problem I might have is, I wonder if in so doing, we're running the risk of people saying, wrong time when rockets are falling on our heads. Yep. And your response was, it's exactly the right time, exactly the right time to talk about maybe the things that we need to do on our side. Why is this the right time?
1: I, I, listen, uh, two weeks ago, I know it's hard to believe, we had the worst civilian catastrophe in, in Israel's history, Okay. And I'll remind your listeners that 45 people died in a man-made crush uh, on the Mount uh, Meron during the Laqba Omer celebrations. And the following day, uh, I made a comment on Facebook that said, um, unlike in the Torah commandment where when somebody dies in between two towns, and we don't know how he died or who uh, killed him, the elders of both towns must come and say, you know, this was not our responsibility because our assumption is you have, the elders do have responsibility for what goes on. That was not the case in uh, Mayron where we know exactly what, what caused the uh, catastrophe and therefore we should not wait to uh, talk about responsibility. And I was immediately uh, shot down uh, uh, by some of my followers on Facebook saying now is not the time. Two weeks have gone by and the news cycle has moved on about 20 times and it's off the agenda, there is no uh, independent inquiry, nobody is being held uh, responsible. So I actually don't accept the argument that in the moments of crisis, we shouldn't have the uh, uh, you know sober conversation. That does not mean that we have a conversation that adds uh, pain to what is already a difficult situation. But these are the moments when, if you can draw attention to it, you can actually pause situation and actually maybe introduce a slightly different uh, type of dialogue. So I do think this is the time to be uh, talking about it. And there is so much to talk about. Instead of pointing the finger at others, I'd like to point the finger at myself, okay? 20% of our population is uh, uh, non-Jewish, most of which is Arab, most of which is Muslim, okay? I don't speak Arabic. I can't. I cannot read uh, um, the the local Arab uh, newspapers. I cannot listen to the radio. I can't really have a proper conversation with local Arabs, but it's actually worse than that. I can't. I don't even have somebody that I can pick up the phone to within the Arab community and shout my frustration as to what's going on in Lod and Akko or cry together with them that we have a country together, that we have to find a way uh, to live together. I don't have anybody in my Rolodex so that I can actually call and talk to about this. I don't have the same level of understanding of what the Arab community is made up of, the different strands, the different ideologies, the different sets of you know, political, economic um, issues, which uh, surround the communities. And so how can I possibly begin to genuinely unpack what you and I would like to do, which is to say, actually, this is what is really going on. And I would say, again, you know me for being somebody quite involved with the Haredi community and many of the things that are connected to the, you know, Haredi community and the rest of Israel. 15 years ago, I didn't have somebody Haredi to call up and cry with or shout at or be frustrated with. Um, Today, I have many. And I think it allows me the ability to come with a much more rounded and nuanced uh, comment about where the future may uh, be for Israeli society in the I think if Israelis maintain a position where basically the Arab community is kind of transparent to them and we don't see them in the uh, uh, television studios and we don't see them in the newspapers and we don't see them on our social media and we don't see them in the workplace or professionally or otherwise, it's going to be incredibly difficult to actually chart some sort of course and, and in the end given that i think you and i and hopefully most of the people who are listening to us we sign up to the uh israeli declaration of independence which gives equal rights we sign up to uh democracy which means we can't use uh dictatorship and and taking away people's rights they are going to be here we are going to be here we are going to have a really tough time and we have to get to grips with uh, uh, these issues
0: So we're almost out of time. As I mentioned earlier, this is so off the cuff, you don't have time to continue. So I appreciate, but I have just a couple quick things to say. The first one is that I think that a nuanced conversation has to happen. The people who are extremists very often, as it's said, that only the extremes are logical, but they're absurd. We have to be able to have a nuanced conversation. And having such a conversation often is regarded as a sign of weakness. Oh, you're going to give our enemies sucker. You're going to give them talking points. Whereas I think, in reality, not having that conversation is a sign of insecurity on our part. We're not willing to say what we really believe and still say, I believe that. And I also, as you said very, very clearly, we are Zionists. We believe that Eretz Israel belongs to the Jews. And we can't also deny at the same time that we have a part of our population which is not going anywhere. We can either deny that or acknowledge it, but it's not going to change by our own denial. So I just want to make that clear. My last point is this, in this very not comprehensive conversation, is to ask you— So what do we do about that? You mentioned how you were able to bridge that gap by having now some Haredi friends you can call up and talk to on the phone about what's going on to cry to. We're both religious Jews. There's a much, much smaller gap between us and Haredim than between Jewish Israelis and many Arab Israelis. So how can that gap be bridged? Is there a way to actually do it, or is it a false hope?
1: I'm I'm an optimist, Scott. So um, I think the answer has got to be yes. Maybe I will finish... At least at this stage uh, with some thoughts that I can take away from uh, Jonathan Sachs okay in, in his last book Morality, he sets out an, an argument which not, not relating specifically to this issue, but I think it absolutely applies, which says in the infrastructure of society you have you have politics and the political system, you have economics and the, and, and, and the world of wealth creation. And then you have civil uh, society, which is kind of you and me and our everyday lives. And I think we always have the power to generate social morality by cooperating one with another. And every act of cooperation between different people increases, aggregates the uh, moral fiber of society. But more than that, I think you you have an amplified sense of morality if you can find that cooperation with somebody who is fundamentally different to you. I.e. it's it's not always easy to cooperate the pe- with people who are like you, but ultimately it is more challenging, but, but potentially more fruitful from a societal perspective to find a way to cooperate uh, uh, with those who are very different from you. Um, I have not invested personal time or capital into thinking about how I can do that with uh, you know the, the Jews and Arabs of Israel, but I can tell you that I will be thinking about that over the next coming days and weeks, whether it's the organizations that I'm involved with, whether it's things that I can do personally, that is my personal responsibility to try and find a way to navigate from what is a very difficult position into the, the place we don't have any choice of, which is a better position uh, in the future.
0: Well, Daniel Goldman, As always, it was enlightening and a pleasure to talk to you, and I believe this conversation must continue. Thank you very much for joining me today. Please remember to subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few bucks a month and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffeehouse. And finally, make sure to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com to find out how you can produce your own podcast and how we can help you do it. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.